You guys may be seated. As you find your seat, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come to you as the one true God. We come to you as the maker of heaven and earth and all things on earth. We come to you as the one who has revealed yourself as the father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has revealed yourself as the, the God of Israel, who has revealed yourself in Jesus Christ as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We come to you, the one true God, and we come to you in the name of Jesus meaning we come to you covered in his blood. We come to you asking that you would receive us and hear us. And Lord, this is our prayer today. Would you let us see you? Would you cover us in your grace? Would you renew us in hope? And would you fill us with your word, we pray in Jesus' name. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Exodus, and today we're going to begin a couple of weeks in one of the most well-known passages of the Bible, the Ten Commandments. So, first of all, I want you to know we're going to spend two weeks in this passage. So, my clock-watching friends, when the, when the hour is turning over and you're like, come on, man, you're still in verse 3, like, I just want you to know that I know, okay? Like, we're coming back next week, and that way you all have to come back next week. So, see, you see what we're doing there? Um, but, you know, one of the challenges of, of teaching really well-known passages of Scripture is, is one, we all go, yeah, 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 I know that. And if we can move through that one, we, we all have a, a predisposed um, lens through which we receive these truths. And so my challenge today is to convince you that the Ten Commandments are actually a good gift of guidance for God's people. So, so, so my goal today is to convince you that these Ten Commandments are a good gift of guidance for the people of God. Now, how did we get here? Um, throughout the book of Exodus, God has been at work to move his people out of physical slavery in Egypt into freedom to be the people of God who worship him freely. And they've been delivered by God's powerful hand, and now they are moving about the wilderness, and they've come to a mountain called Mount Sinai. And on this mountain, God is revealing himself to his people, and he is showing his people how to live as his people. Now, this is really important. Whose people was Israel? They were God's. And God wanted to lovingly and graciously show them how to live as his people. So these Ten Commandments aren't intended necessarily to be a restrictive reality, but they're intended to be a 
joyful gift that shows and guides God's people what it looks like to live as a transformed people. That's what we're going to see today. So those of you that want to take notes, the first point is the better way. The better way. In short, God's goal in these verses is to show his people how to live, how he desires them to live, and what is the better way to live. Chapter 19 showed us that Israel is the people of a holy God, and what he wants for them is holy Living. Now, when pastors start throwing around words like holy, we, that's where our preconceived notions come in of like self-righteousness and dotting I's and crossing T's and having it all together and being judgmental and shooting arrows at the world and all those kind of things. But that's not, that's not what it means. The word holy simply means other. It means unique it means separate. And we, we really talked last week about how God is a holy God, the one true God who is unlike any other being or deity in all the earth, and he is to be worshiped as such. But the second reality is this holy God is building a people who also will be holy, which simply means this. God's people are intended to be unique from all the peoples of the earth. God's people are intended to be set apart from all the peoples of the earth. God's people are intended to be transformed and shaped by their powerful God. And this passage says, God says, I've started the work. I'm going to keep doing the work, but I want to show you what it looks like to live as a holy people. And this is a good thing. So look at verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying. Now, a lot of times in the scripture, it says God spoke. And what that means is God spoke to a messenger who then spoke to the people. But what's unique here in chapter 20 is God is speaking to Moses, the messenger, but he's doing it in such a way that all the people hear his voice. We're actually told in Chapter 19, verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So, so God, this is a unique moment. The people had to prepare themselves for this holy encounter where God was going to speak to his people and he was going to speak in such a way that the people would hear the voice of God. And some of you might be like, well, that's, that's not fair. I, I want to hear the voice of God. Why can't, why can't we hear the voice of God? 
Well, verses 18 through 21 tell us that it was a pretty fearful thing to hear the voice of the Holy God. So much so that the people said, hey, that's good. Let's not let that ever happen again. So, so this Holy God is speaking to his people and notice how he begins. Verse two, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Notice what God says. First of all, he begins with, with his name. I am. I am the Lord your God. I am the one true God. I am the one who is and always was and always will be. And you are the people that I redeemed. I am God. You are my people. I have brought you out of the house of slavery. Now, this is of vital importance because God is saying, I'm the unique God and you are the unique people who belong to the unique God. I've purchased you. I've brought you out of slavery. Now, why is that important? Because these 10 commandments are not 10 steps to earn God's love. They're not 10 steps to get acceptable before God. They're not 10 steps to anything. Rather, the loving, kind, powerful, gracious, benevolent God said, you're my people. Now I'm gonna show you how to be my people. You're my people. Now I'm gonna give you guidance on how to walk through this world as my people. So I am pleading with you to hear these 10 commandments as a gift. To hear these 10 commandments as God lovingly and kindly saying, let me help you navigate this world as my people. Um, I'm a father of two teenagers right now. Somebody said, bless you. Amen. Amen. It's a lot easier to preach when they're not in the service. I had to do this at eight. I had to be really delicate. Um, but you know, fathering two teenagers, man, there's a lot of rules and regulations being handed out, right? You know, and my poor kids, every time I learn of new craziness that's out there in the world, we go home, I go home and we have a sit down and we talk, right? They're like, oh, no, what did you learn today, Dad? We haven't done it, right? But I try to convey to them, guys, I'm not trying to mess with your life. I'm not trying to, to make you not have fun. I'm not trying to, to rain on your parade. But I want you to, to glorify God. I want to show you how to glorify God. And, guys, I'm 41, so I've spent 40 years messing my life up, and you don't have to do that. So I want to help you know the better way. Like, that's really what's motivating me. And so I think what's going on with these commandments is the Lord saying, I want you to honor me. You will honor me. I will not settle for my name being dishonored. But I want you to enjoy the better way of belonging to me. 
if you're a, a scholar of the scripture, after Exodus 20, Israel's just going to make a glorious mess of the whole thing. And it would have been so much better and so much more joyful for them to walk freely with the Lord. So I just, I, I, I'm shouting out to a bunch of Americans the Ten Commandments are not intended to be inhibiting your freedom. They're actually intended to give you a guide toward the greatest freedom to know the Lord and to walk in His ways. But I am talking to a room full of Americans. And I know that this interpretation of Ten Commandments cuts against our modern identity. We don't like any form of limitation. We don't like being told what to do. But God is saying, I'm giving you ten words. I'm giving you ten statements. I'm giving you ten phrases of guidance that are for your Now, this is where I'm going to ask you to participate. How do we, as Christians in the year 2020, connect to the Exodus story? We connect to the Exodus story through... Oh, come on, guys. You can do this. We connect to the Exodus story through, through Jesus. So the passage begins, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery... Now I'm going to show you how to live. Our Egypt, our slavery is sin and death. And Christ, by his life, by his blood, and by his death, has delivered us out of the bondage and the slavery of sin. Why? That we could freely worship him and enjoy him and glorify him in this earth now and forevermore. And so we, too, need to be guided in how to walk and follow after the Lord. Now, those of you that love theology, you're like, okay, but that's in the Old Testament and we're in the New Testament. We're, un, we're under Christ. So things, some things are different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yes, that's true. We can get into that nuance, but, but I want to compel all of us with something. These commandments are a gift to us. And I want to I give you a New Testament passage that I think will shape that for us. So if you would take your Bible and turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. From one common passage to another one. And you have Paul, Christ follower, apostle, writing to Timothy, Christ follower, pastor. And this is what he says. In verse 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So sacred writings there for Timothy means the Old Testament. It means the law of God, the law of Moses, and it means the Ten Commandments. Those are all kind of subsets working their way down. He says, those writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So what he's saying is these words point us to Jesus. 
These words drive us to Christ. Then verse 16, all scripture, and again, when Paul's writing to Timothy here, we don't have the New Testament. So he's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about those sacred writings. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's God's word, and it's profitable, valuable. For what? For teaching, to guide us. For reproof, to show us our error. For correction, to show us what is good. And for training in righteousness, to help us walk in God's way. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there's a lot of nuance we could get into. And I'm not glossing over the nuance. But I just want to give you scripture to say that it would be God's will that these words in Exodus 20 would shape his people, would have a shaping impact on us. Even though we look at them through the cross of Christ, they are still profitable to us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So my massive appeal today is these commandments are a gracious gift of God that are intended to show us the better way. So then, the question is, well, how are we going to attack these commandments? Well, we could do 10 sermons, one on each commandment. That might get a little bit monotonous and a little bit repetitive. And some of you under your masks are saying, amen, 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 amen. We could just kind of quickly try to gloss through them. I don't think that would serve us well. So I'm going to take um, a division that Jesus gives to us to help us approach the commandments. And again, I'm referencing so many scriptures today because I want you to see that we're trying to take the, the whole testimony of the scripture seriously. In Matthew 22 and in Mark 12, one encounter recorded twice, Jesus was asked this. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in law? And in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great, the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law. And so those two categories of loving God and loving neighbor can help us shape how we tackle these commandments. Because commandments one through four are God's guidance of how we relate to God as God's people. And commands 5 through 10 are God's guidance of how we relate to one another as God's people. And so today we want to look at the first four. Next week we'll look at the last six. So the second point in today's sermon is singular worship. Singular worship. And this is verses 3 through 11. 
And it is a summary of these first four commandments, which is this. The Lord wants his people to be devoted to him. The Lord wants his people to worship him alone. The Lord wants his people to serve him alone. And, frankly, the Lord is so serious about this that he will not stand for his people dishonoring his name by worshiping other gods. So that's the, that's the, the drive of these first four commandments. So let's, let's look at them together. Commandment one is in verse three. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other God, gods besides me. Now, you might say, well, why does he need to tell them that? Well, because all around them, in all the nations, were, was the worship of many, many false gods. In Egypt, where they were, they were surrounded for over 400 years with the worship of many, many false gods. Remember, we can even see the, the 10 plagues as God showing that he's the one true God over false God, over false God, over false God, over false God. And so the Lord goes on record very clearly and says, you shall have no other gods before me. What he's saying is, there is to be among my people no divided allegiance. I am your God. There is none like me. We won't do mix and match. We won't do choose your own deity. We won't do a little of this deity and a little of that deity and a little of that deity makes my special deity. No, I am your God. There will be no gods besides me. Now, the deeper we get into these commandments, the more probing of the heart they become. But this one, I believe, is a philosophical commitment kind of commandment. I will commit that there is one true God and my loyalty belongs to him. We're not quite into how loyal or disloyal I am, but this is the, the directional commandment. There is one God, I commit to him. There is one God, he is true. There is one God, I will be undivided in my devotion to him. Very simply, the Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, why is that? It's the very reason that God delivered his people. If we were to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 4, God said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my people go. Why? That they may serve me. That they may honor me, that they may worship me. The Lord delivered his people so that his people would be wholly devoted to him. Commandment one, guide one, word one, have no other gods before me. Commandment two, this is verses four through six. 
Have no idols for worshiping or serving. Verse four reads, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So what's being said here is literally don't make for yourself a visual representation of other gods and worship that visual representation. So when we read this, we think of like something within one of these modern pantheon of gods where they have a statue and they bow down to the statue and they worship it. And that would be an accurate representation of what's going on here. But additionally, what's going on here is the Lord is also saying, don't make an image of anything and say, that's me. Don't make an image of anything and say, that's God. So let's worship that as if it were God. God's saying, I'm God, and I reveal myself as I am. And I choose when and how to reveal myself. Don't make an image and say, that's God. Worship me. Well, why would the Lord do this? Because he doesn't want the people to be deceived. He doesn't want the people to be duped. Now, if you know your Exodus well, we're not even going to get very far, much further in the story, before they're going to do just this. They're going to get impatient of waiting on God to talk to Moses, and they're going to make a big golden calf, and they're going to say, that's God. Let's worship it. And God's going to be incensed because he's not a golden calf. He is the Lord who is in the heavens, who is spirit, who will ultimately reveal himself in the face of his son, Jesus Christ, and it is not a golden calf. Don't point at that and say, that's me. Now, rightly, modern writers and preachers and thinkers have pushed us beyond, do you have a golden cow in your house that you worship? Because I'm assuming if this was just a straight up roll call, who has a golden cow that you worship? No, good, next commandment, right? Wrong. Because what the passage then pushes us to, thinking and application has pushed us to, But don't elevate other images as that which is worthy of worship. So we might not say the cow is our God, but we might have things in our world that we worship and honor and serve slavishly as if they were our God, and that would be making an idol just the same. You see, that starts to hurt a little bit, doesn't it? I was feeling good about no calf in the, in the uh, closet. But now i got to ask myself, do I have possessions? Do I have titles? Do I have a status? Do I have ideas of the, the better life that I elevate up to an altar of worship as if it was God? And then, oh no, the second commandment's talking to me. That's not the better way. 
That's not the better way. The Lord's not interested in taking away your money or taking away your possessions or taking away your joy or taking away your success. He's just interested in you being devoted to him above and all, above and over all things. Because when we make idols, we're having other gods before him. Third commandment. No taking God's name in vain. Hold on, I'm sorry. I almost skipped one of those really hard parts. I shouldn't have done that. Verse six, 5 and 6 say, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me and showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, here's what this is not saying. It's not saying that God is mean and vindictive, and if you mess up, he's going to take it out on second and third and fourth generations of your kids. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he's not going to let you desecrate his name and your turning away from the Lord is going to influence the next generation, which is going to influence the next generation, which is going to influence the next generation. And the Lord will not make peace with any of those generations of his people turning away from him. That's quite humbling, isn't it? But then the good news is he's eager to show steadfast love to thousands upon thousands of generations of those who love him and keep his commandments, which is the idea that, that we teach a generation to walk with the Lord and he's going to pour the same blessing on them that he did on this generation. And we teach a generation to walk with the Lord. It's, like, like it's going to be good for all the generations. Third commandment, no taking the name of the Lord in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, I say, take the name of the Lord of God in vain. You think, okay, that means don't turn God's name into a curse word. Don't do that. Good. Cool. I'm glad you don't. But the name of the Lord of God being taken in vain is much broader than that. This would would be a serious matter because if you'll remember, the name of God is his revealing of his character. The name of God is I am who I am. I am the one who delivers his people. I am the great God. And so what this is saying is don't attribute untruth to the name of God. Don't use the name of God in trivial joviality. Don't demean the character of God with your words. Don't demean the nature of God or the holiness of God with how you address God. This is going at what we say about God. It's aiming at our words about the nature and the character of God. And again, it was a lot more comfortable when it was an easy checkbox, right? But the Lord is saying, hey, just... Don't flippantly and glibly and dishonoringly and demeaningly use my name. When you speak of me, say what I have said. When you speak of me, say what is true. When you speak of me, speak of me as I have revealed myself. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. There's a broader thing going on. Fourth, fourth commandment, verses 8 through 11. 
remember the Sabbath pattern. Remember the Sabbath pattern. So the command is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And this is the explanation. Remember we said the holy God is building a holy people? This commandment is is circled up in the holy God and his character shapes the holiness of his people. Because the argument is this. The Lord created for six days and rested on the seventh. You too should work for six days and devote the seventh to the Lord. So rest doesn't mean take a nap. It means intentionally rest in God. We should probably spend like a whole month's worth of sermons right here. So the Jewish people took this and they turned it into a codified reality of Saturday is Sabbath. Don't mess with Saturday. The early church, the followers of Jesus said, we're not under that strict demand anymore. But they did call Sunday the Lord's Day. And I'm not really interested in telling you exactly what this needs to look like in your world or my world, except to say, I think we got a whole lot of reflecting to do because this idea of a Sabbath unto the Lord as part of our being holy like the Lord is foreign to most of us. And it's uncomfortable to all of us. But we're not doing ourselves any good if we just say, forget that. Don't worry about that. Again, there's a lot of nuance for us to wrestle through, but I just want to say, what would it look like for us to take seriously this idea of structuring our lives to ensure that we're resting in the Lord in such a way that we are unique from the world. So these first four commandments are are structured and written that we as God's people would be wholly devoted to him, that our worship would be singularly focused, that our ministry would be singularly focused, that our living would be singularly focused upon the Lord. So I have three words to conclude this message. One, I want to speak to the arrogant. Some of us are reading this and going, man, I'm a good Bible-believing Christian. Been living by the Ten Commandments my whole life, and I got this down. If that's you, Jesus has a challenge for you. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read Matthew 5 and 6. Here's the flavor. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother is guilty of murder. Oh, we just got raw and real and serious, didn't we? The spirit of this is that we would be wholly devoted to the Lord, not proud of ourselves. 
Second, to the apathetic, to those that are like, eh, yeah, sure, great, don't care. I would ask you to remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, what we, what we looked at earlier. And I would just ask you this question. If we're not going to take words like this seriously as having a shaping influence upon us, how are we going to become equipped for every good work? How are we going to become complete? Meditate upon those questions and wrestle with them. And then third, this is where I hope most of us are, to the broken and the convicted. Saying, oh, I need help. Oh, I need grace. Oh, I need the work of God in my life. We run to Christ. Here's some good news. The scripture says that Christ came and lived and died and rose again so that those who are sinful rebels against God can be forgiven and made new. So if we feel like we need God, then these words are driving us to him and Christ came for those who feel like they need God. Cry out to him. Do you want some more good news? In Jeremiah 33 and 34, Jesus said, or not Jesus, the Lord said, a day is coming when I will write my law on the hearts of my people. So the scripture says that if we're in Christ, these words are not just words that come to our ears, but they're words that have been written on our hearts. The Lord's made our hearts new so that words like this can shape who we are. We've not been left to our own devices. You want some more good news? Christ sent his spirit the Holy Spirit, to dwell within believers to help us follow after the Lord. We've been forgiven. The law's been written on our hearts and we've been given the Spirit that we can live as the people of God in great freedom. No other gods before me, no idols for worshiping or serving, no taking God's name in vain, Remember the Sabbath pattern. These are blessed gifts of life. Let us, the people of Jesus, learn to walk in them. Our Father and our God, we pray now that you would speak your word to us in power and in truth. Pray you would stir us to want to be like you and to follow after you. So now, oh God, we pray that you would help anyone gathered today, anyone engaging with this today, pray you would draw us all to Jesus, that we would cry out to him, We're sinners in need of a Savior. Help us.
pray this in his name. Amen.